Hello and welcome back to Young Nostalgia, the podcast that takes a trip down memory lane from two guys that never lived it. I'm Nolan and beside me is Ben and we both thank you for joining us as we take um, as we talk about our passions for the past while being young at heart. So if you like what you hear, be sure to rate um, the show where you, get, where you get your podcasts and share the love. We are on Apple Podcasts as well as Google Play and Stitcher. We've actually submitted our feed to Spotify who have partnered with Podbean now. So hopefully it's going to be a little bit more of a smooth transition to get on there. I know a lot of people love using Spotify. So now you can get your music and podcasts all on one small itsy bitsy app anyway any positive reviews helps us grow without further ado ben how you doing today oh uh, it's been a good day how are you doing nolan not too bad glad to hear it's been a good day better than last week because last week you weren't too happy uh yeah last week wasn't great i was sick <laughs> <laughs> not sick of me just uh sick. well uh... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're bringing you our fa- one of our favorite uh, topics as well as um, one of the fan favorites as well. This month in history, and it's going to be for November. So, Ben, why don't you kick us off? All right, we're going to start here on November 1st of 1848. The very first medical school for women was opened in Boston. It was called the Boston Female Medical School, um, and it was founded by Samuel Gregory, and at the time it only had 12 students. Um, and kind of adding to that, it's also interesting that in 1874, the school merged with Boston University School of Medicine, um, which would then become one of the first ever co-ed medical schools. So it was not the first co-ed, but, you know, is it really one of those first emerging schools. But it uh, <clears throat> this, school, this particular school kind of had a, uh, a double spot in history with, you know, being the first female and the first co-ed. Which is so cool. I mean, just being on the on the forefront of um, the integration of, of females into this practice. Because, I mean, for the long time, especially in 1848, I mean, just, you know, practices and, and uh, a, lot, a lot of the professional fields like this were, you know, male-dominated. So it was really cool to see this. And one thing I did notice that was kind of funny, um, they didn't really pick any interesting name. It was the Boston Female <laughs> Medical School. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, still really super cool and awesome to to talk about for history's sakes. But they could have come up with something a little bit more awesome. I guess they were a little bit more boring back in 1848. <laughs> anyway, but you know, it gets the point across. So when you read it, you know, you know what it is. Um, all right, so Quick November second, 194 Yeah, right. November second, <laughs> 1947. The first and only flight of Howard Hughes, the Spruce Goose flying boat, occurred in Long Beach Harbor, California. It flew about a mile at an altitude of 70 feet, uh, costing 25 million dollars. The 200-ton plywood eight-engine Hercules was the world's largest airplane designed, built, and flown by Howard Hughes. It later became a tourist attraction alongside the Queen Mary ship at Long Beach and has since been moved to Oregon. And so, I mean, that's just super cool. You have a few facts about the Spruce Goose. I do have a couple facts about the Spruce Goose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of interesting. The whole the whole um, idea of the, <clears throat> the wooden airplane was that, you know... At this time, you know, there was a huge shortage of 
materials being mostly metals, steel, aluminum, that sort of thing, to build airplanes out of. This is because of the war effort, of course. And there was a need to kind of develop new technologies that didn't that could use less or possibly none of these materials that were scarce at the time. So Howard Hughes designed this plane to be 100%, excluding um, mechanical parts, linkage, that so engines, that sort of thing. It was physically built out of wood, and it was pretty interesting to, to cut costs and to save um, metal, you know, even more. The nails and bolts and screws that were used to hold the plane together while the glue dried um, <clears throat> were to be removed after the glue was dried and then either recycled or reused to build subsequent planes. Um, and of course, you know, at, at, at the time, 1947, it was, you know, kind of, it wasn't really necessary, you know, after that. So it never really took off. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of interesting how, you know, every last little step that could possibly be taken to save um, on material, um, they did it. It was just all be all for the war effort and all to, um, you know, possibly t- take that material and put it into something that um, needed it more. So pretty much Howard Hughes invented recycling back in 1947 <laughs> as well. Um, but, I mean, just on the slight topic of Howard Hughes, there's a whole bunch of conspiracies and stuff involving him whether of like there's stuff with uh Scientology I think he was almost tied to yeah yeah I mean Howard Hughes is you know even aside from just the conspiracies he was just his life and his life story was weird I mean later in life he became this hermit that no one ever really saw and he was just a crazy I mean he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs <laughs> and you know you're talking about the the conspiracies a little bit I mean there's conspiracies about he had faked his death, and he actually lived longer than you know supposedly had lived. And then there's other conspiracy theories about how um, he actually did die earlier than what you know is recorded as his death. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just weird. I mean, there's so much stuff around Howard Hughes that you, you just, I, I just feel like you never really know exactly what went on and what was going through his mind. You know, especially later on in life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, super super weirdo. Um, no, <laughs> November second, seventeen thirty four. We actually have a birthday. So American frontiersman Daniel Boone, born in seventeen thirty four, passed away in eighteen twenty. Was born in Berks County near Reading, uh, Re- Reading, Pennsylvania. Oh <laughs> Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, not much more I can think about that one. Yeah, I don't really know too much about Daniel Boone, but uh, his birthday—it's in- it's interesting nonetheless. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I took two—I took two bullet points. That one was supposed to be yours. No, that's all right. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on. November third, nineteen fifty-seven, Soviet Russia launched the world's first inhabited space capsule, um, Sputnik two, um, and. Its inhabitant was a dog named Laika. And, you know, at this time, Sput- I mean, the original Sputnik had already gone up, of course. And the Russians or the Soviets at this time, I mean, they really kind of had a, a step forward on the United States as far as the uh, the space race goes. Um, 
<clears throat> they had already put, uh, they, they had beaten the world in putting just a satellite in space in general, and then, of course, they um, beat the world with putting a uh, living being into space. But, of course, the United States beat everyone to the moon. And so, you know, that's, I guess that's all that really matters. And we put our flag on it. Of uh, course we did. <laughs> and, I mean, <laughs> everyone was just in shock when uh, Sputnik was up and... <laughs> Sputnik. <laughs> when when that first launched because, you know, JFK was like, we need to get our booties in gear, um, get our crap in a bunch to be able to get out there and, and win the space race. Because, I mean, height of the Cold War, um, or at least beginning of the Cold War, um, it, it was big to have the U.S. a contender um, for space travel. Right. And, and, you know, he said early, in the early 60s, he said, you know, we will we will we'll do it by the end of the decade. And it did take till the end of the decade. But <laughs> yeah. but we did it. We did it. Um, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. <laughs> um, OK, November 4th, 1922. <laughs> King Tut's tomb was discovered at Luxor, uh, Luxor, Egypt. Um, by British archaeologist Howard Carter after several years of searching. So the child king Tutankhamun um, became pharaoh at age nine and died around 1352 B.C. at the ripe old age of 19. The tomb was found mostly intact, containing numerous priceless items now exhibited in Egypt's National Museum in Cairo. So, oh my gosh. I mean, we've talked about... uh, young leaders of of nations before mm-hmm. um and i mean just becoming becoming of age at nine and only ruling for 10 10 years but i mean there's so many controversies and, and conspiracies surround <laughs> king tut's tomb as well uh, there is and then you know there the whole <laughs> The whole idea of it being extremely intact and everything, you know, being untouched for, well, you know, since 1352 for the most part, that's amazing because the the grave robbers and, you know, people uh, robbing the tombs and, you know, selling the priceless um, artifacts was so prevalent. I mean, it's been, it's not a new thing. It wasn't happening, you know, you know, early 1900s even. I mean, it was happening for thousands and thousands of years. I mean, it's darn near ever since they died, you know, there was always... It was always a problem, you know. Right after the mm-hmm. death of one of these pharaohs, it was always a problem with you know people breaking in and stealing stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you know, to have found a tomb that was that intact and everything so untouched, it, it was kind of a, uh, it was something that didn't happen a whole lot, especially, um, you know, in you know, as late as nineteen twenty-two, and that was kind of the height of, of eighteen uh, hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. It was really kind of a peak in this uh, archaeological exploration of these uh, ancient tombs and you know so many of them were just totally ransacked um, everything stolen you know just yeah front door flapping open in the breeze <laughs> flapping <you know>. open <laughs> um, <laughs> now isn't there like the uh, a famous scene done by Steve Martin when he was a um, comedian on like SNL or something and he was like King Tut do you know what I'm talking about and he would like no I do not I dance no around and be like King about. Tut King Tut, like okay, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty if, sure it's a thing. It, God, I wish everyone could see the visual I just had <laughs> with you doing the little King Tut dance. <laughs> All right, we got to keep this moving. 
All right, moving on to November November 4th, 1960, we have another birthday. Famed TV journalist Walter Cronkite uh, was born in St. Joseph, Missouri. He was born in 1916 and then later died in 2009. <clears throat> he was a leading correspondent for United Press, United Press International during World War II. And then from 1962 to 1981, he was the anchorman of the CBS Evening News and was wildly, re- widely regarded as America's most trusted journalist. I mean, we've talked about Walter Cronkite in the past, especially with our um, influential moments in TV and radio. But he was mm-hmm. such. He yeah, was, it was just about the JFK assassination. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he was the face of just what journalism was in America. Um, people looked to him to understand what was happening in the world that um, they were seeing. Right. I and mean, it was, you know, there was a lot of other stations and, and you know, they had, they had anchormen and, you know, journalists and that sort of thing. And they were just kind of just figureheads and, you know, they gave the the hourly news or something like that. But Walter Cronkite was basically a, a celebrity of that field to where, you know, it, it not only was... <clears throat> People, people weren't just tuning in, you know, to get the news, but they were tuning in to watch Walter Cronkite give the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different. <laughs> it's different. That's funny. All right, November fifth, seventeen thirty-three. The first issue of the New York Weekly Journal was published by John Peter Zenger, a colonial American printer and journalist. A year later, he was arrested on charges of libeling New York's royal governor. And. <laughs> You know, and I, I kind of kind of key in on the very last phrase that libeling New York's royal governor. And you kind of got to think, I don't know exactly what was said, what was printed, you know, that was deemed as libel. But you, the whole the, the fact that it was New York's royal governor kind of lends me to think that it probably wasn't anything that bad, let alone. I mean, it <clears throat> wasn't anything that bad, but it was probably something extremely true, <laughs> you know, and. And it doesn't matter what it was. I mean, as uh, as a royal governor, I mean, basically, if you just, I don't like that guy. He said stuff that I don't like. Okay, now you're in jail. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, that what, would what be interesting. We sh- I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> what is it that they say that print ad- print adds like 10 pounds? Print adds 10 pounds, yes. I'm sure that's what it was, is that he looked... <laughs> He uh, looked unflattering in the print. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. Right. November 6th, 1429. <laughs> Henry VI was crowned King of England at age eight. He had acceded to the throne at age of nine months following the death of Charles VI. Nine months. Nine months old. I, that is... <laughs> this is just ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. People were weird. You know, we talked about it before. We well, just a little bit ago, we talked about uh, King Tut and how young he was. Um, not like nine months, but uh, young nonetheless. You know, when these these rulers they gained, you know, supposedly gained power at this young age, they had no power. <laughs> they were just a figurehead that you know made you know, lavish appearances, you know, as the ruler, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And, you know, there was so many um, advisors and other people behind the scenes actually making decisions and, you know, running the show. And 
But it is just funny that they would still, everyone would be just totally cool with the figurehead, you know, of the country being, being nine, nine, months, nine old. months old. <laughs> also, see what I did there is I took two in a row. Oh, hey, we're back on track. <laughs> November 6th, 1854, we have a birthday of American conductor John Philip Sousa, uh, born in 1854, passed away in 1932, was born in Washington, D.C., best known for his rousing marches, including the Stars and Stripes Forever, Semper Fidelis, and El Capitan. <laughs> also has the Sousaphone named after him. Ooh. <laughs> you sound really deeply interested in that fact. That could be a whole nother episode. Just about sousaphones. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on, November 7th, 1944, President Franklin D. Roosevelt was elected to an unprecedented fourth term, defeating Thomas E. Dewey. Roosevelt died less than a year later on April 12th, 1945. <clears throat> And this is kind of interesting because FDR was the first and only president to ever serve uh, more than two terms. And, you know, after his uh, fourth term, at what well, I guess after his death, which was the end of his fourth term, um, there was a bill passed in Congress um, and ratified by the states on February 27, 1951, which states... Um, that an elected president could only serve two terms in office, um, mm-hmm. which would of course be a total of eight years, and that would uh, of course be the twenty. That would what we know as the Twenty Second Amendment now, but up until 1951, it was more of a more of just tradition and a duty to only you know serve your time and yeah. then step aside. Yeah, it was a precedent started by George Washington. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they offered and asked him to run again, and he said, no, um, I have done my part. Um, r- running right. again would only... he It's almost one of those like those tradition ideals where it's like running for office like this and being a part of office like the executive branch would hold more of a monarch feel rather than... Right, and that's exactly what they had worked so hard to get rid of exactly and you know if if there wasn't if you could just sit in you know in office for indefinitely until everyone decided it was time for you to go like that's not that much different than you know what they had just worked so hard to to escape from and so you know uh, you know after uh after washington it was just it was a tradition and it was just known as that's what you do Uh uh-huh you know until fdr came along and you know, did his thing. Well, a lot of it was because of the that, war effort. Because that's true. He felt, that's true. He felt there was nobody else um, that could see the U.S. through the Nazi threat through mm-hmm. those times. So, right, that's correct. And, and also, you know, that's not just you know being able to be that war t- wartime president. It was also, you know, dealing with a uh, an office change. You know, in the middle of this stressful time. You know, the, all of the other all of the other stuff that goes along with, you know, changing of <laughs> changing of the presidency. Yeah. Um, you know, that'd be that much more to have to deal with. Yep. <laughs> um, November 8th, 1939, an assassination, an assassination attempt on Hitler failed at the Buarger, um, 
Booger Brockler, Booger Brockler in Munich. A bomb exploded soon after. Soon after Hitler had um, exited following a speech commemorating the 1923 Beer Hall Pooched, um, seven others were killed in the blast. Um, sorry, we didn't mean to chuckle at that, but we could not pronounce any... Um, Burger Brockler. Burger Brockler? Is that, is that how you say it? Burger Brockler in Munich. How it's spelled. Okay. <laughs> I think um, I don't know. I don't speak German. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this was one of multiple failed assassination <clears throat> attempts on Hitler's life. Um, I don't know. I know we've talked about it before, but seeing the movie Valkyrie with Tom Cruise released ten years back or so, um, kind of mm-hmm. recounts actual events when it comes to um, an assassination attempt on Hitler's life. I don't think it was like this actual one, but it was. It was of a subsequent one. It was like um, some higher up Nazi. Officers actually were planning on um, assassinating Hitler, right? But uh, how different things would have been. Yeah, it's amazing to think about. You know how history could have been different. You know if any one of those had actually been successful. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All right, November eighth, eighteen forty-seven. Uh, Dracula author Bram Stoker was born in Dublin, Ireland. He li- he was born in eighteen forty-seven and died in nineteen twelve. Cool. <laughs> yeah, we don't really have too much more on that, but it's interesting. <laughs> yes, very. November 9th, <laughs> 1965, um, at 5.16 p.m., the great blackout of the Northeast began as a tripped circuit breaker at a power plant on the Niagara River caused a chain reaction sending power surges knocking out interconnected power companies down the East Coast. The blackout affected over 30 million people, one-sixth of the entire U.S. population at that time. Electricity also failed in Ontario as well as Quebec in Canada. Jeez. Uh, Yeah, and you know, I was thinking, if something like this happened like tomorrow... I mean, even if it lasted five minutes or less, people would lose their, absolutely lose their minds. <laughs> people would, would break. Oh, they would start. There looting. would be riots in the streets. Gosh. I'm, I'm not even kidding. I'm 100% positive that people would, it, society would melt down <laughs> if that many people lost power, you know, even for a short period of time. Well, the good thing is Verizon would still have service. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All, All right, right. November 10th, 1942. Following the British victory at El Alamein in North Africa during World War II, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill stated, This is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Man, that's deep. Clear as mud. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Winston Churchill was such a uh, a figurehead when it came to the empowerment of the British people. But, oh, yeah. I mean, this, it's like you almost have to tell him to slow down and repeat himself so you understand where where he's trying to get to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so many other, you know, uh, great sayings and speeches and that sort of thing from Winston Churchill. And then there's this, which, I mean, I'm not saying it, <laughs> it's it's not meaningful or anything, you know, anything like that, but I'm just saying it's it's kind of hard to follow. It's It's the middle... <laughs> It's it's the middle. We're in the middle. <laughs> yeah, we're in the middle. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not the top of the bottom. It is not even the bottom of the top. It is perhaps the top of the... I, it's, it's, it's it makes top. about as much sense. 
<laughs> it, it's, it is perhaps the middle of um, nothing. <laughs> November 11th, 1938, Whoa. Irving Berlin's God Bless America was first performed. Um, he had written the song especially for radio entertainer Kate Smith, who sang it during her regular radio broadcast. It soon became a patriotic favorite of Americans, and it was one of Smith's most requested songs for the time. So, pretty cool. That really should have been when one of our uh, radio shows. Oh, honestly, you know, it probably should. Yep, probably that was should an oversight been. on our part. <clears throat> <laughs> Yay, America. <laughs> All right, let's go. <laughs> All right. Moving on to November 13th, 1927, the Holland Tunnel was open to traffic. The tunnel runs under the Hudson River between New York City and Jersey City and was the first underwater tunnel built tunnel built in the U.S. It comprised of two tubes, each large enough for two lanes of traffic. Awesome. I mean, for 1927, that's a pretty huge, uh, magnificent, amazing <laughs> part of engineering. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's not just, it's not like building a bridge. You know, I mean, you are excavating huge amounts of earth through rock, through bedrock, and then all of that to put a tunnel in that, you know, doesn't flood immediately. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, you know, something like that might be relatively easy and routine nowadays. But 1927, I mean, that that was not a small task. Uh-uh. Heck no. I mean, they, <laughs> they could build sky, skyscrapers and everything, but could they build underground? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they I did. Mean, uh, they did. They, they, they did. did, but... <laughs> <laughs> November 14th, 1666, the first experimental blood transfusion took place in Britain utilizing two dogs. We, uh, to be continued, move on. We don't know how it yep. actually ended. Well, being 1666, uh, we could probably assume that the dogs didn't live. Well... I'd like to say that they did because it was influential in history. Well, I mean, I guess it was the first. It was. I guess well, it was it, the first time it ever been tried. But <laughs> I mean, I don't think uh, they hadn't like discovered like bacteria and stuff. Yet. Oh yeah, that's that's true. I'm sure they were using dirty, crusty, you know, tools and stuff, and and eating a they sandwich. Didn't, they didn't know about like blood types and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So well. Could have could have worked out well, but probably not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. November fifteenth, nineteen sixty-nine. The largest anti-war rally in U.S. history occurred as two hundred fifty thousand people gathered in Washington D.C. to protest the Vietnam War. I mean, this has been a, a talking point for episodes past when it came to influential moments. I mean, the Vietnam War really brought an age of divide between the American people. Um, it, mm-hmm. it was just such a different atmosphere than what other wars brought to the country. Um, and, and, I mean, right. like we, we've talked about it before a lot. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, it's only 30 years after World War II where we saw the, um, I mean, American pride and the, the, the support of the war effort was just astronomical. And then we, you know, just 30 years later, you know, for the Vietnam War, I mean, a little less than 30 years, I suppose, you know, then we look at that, and it was just there was there was so little support. Even you know the the troops coming home, they were treated poorly. And yeah, just, I mean, just for being there. And there was a draft, 
And so, I mean, people might not have even wanted to be there, but, you know, you still need that support. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, so, I mean, I don't know. It's just amazing to think about how such a short period of time and, you know, support for the American military and the troops could go down uh, by that much. Yeah. It's really sad yeah. to think about. It is. I mean, and even to this day, we're recovering a little bit from what the Vietnam, like the, the, uh, the way that the troops were treated coming back home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're still trying to mend that, uh, mm-hmm. that broken bond. Um, November 17th, 1800, the U.S. Congress met with for the first time in the new capital at Washington, D.C. President John Adams then became the first occupant of the executive mansion, which was later renamed to, as we know it now, the White House. You know so, what color it was before they named it the White House? Was it beige? <laughs> No, it was blue. Oh, it was the blue house? No, yeah, it was the blue house. No, I'm kidding. I, <laughs> okay. It was white. <laughs> I mean, it's so cool because in the eight, like at, in 1800, November, um, the capital city really started becoming what we know as the capital of America. Right. I mean, up until then, it was just kind of like an outcropping of, you know, buildings. It, I mean, now it's basically like a, I mean, now it's basically like a capital city now. And this was kind of one of the 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 first steps of it becoming, you know, just a wa- Washington D.C. instead of just, you know, this is where a few buildings where, <laughs> you know, the government resides. Yeah. Um. And so it's it's pretty interesting to think about that that kind of started that off. Definitely. All right, November eighteenth, fourteen seventy seven, William Caxton printed the first ever book in English. Um, and the, uh, the title of this book was the dictates and sayings of philosophers, which, um, the title, I mean, it appears to be in Latin, but, uh, pretty sure the actual book was printed in English, which is kind of weird. <laughs> Very weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, I, I believe, I mean, it, it kind of just looks like, uh, the dictates and sayings, which would be like the the writings and sayings of philosophers. Yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah, just logical thinking. <laughs> I'm, I don't speak Latin. <laughs> um, November nineteenth, eighteen sixty three. President Abraham Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address during ceremonies dedicated seventeen acres um, of the Gettysburg battlefield as a national cemetery. Famed orator Edward Everett of Massachusetts preceded Lincoln and spoke for two hours, two hours long. Lincoln then delivered his address in less than two minutes. Although many in attendance were at uh, first unimpressed, Lincoln's words have come to symbolize the definition of democracy itself. Nothing like short, sweet, and to the point. Exactly. <clears throat> and, I mean, the way, the way America was at this time, that's what you needed. Right, and (laughs) sitting through a two-hour speech has got to be just terrible. In the blistering sun? Oh, I know. That would just, I mean, 1800s, yeah. They're not sitting in an air-conditioned auditorium or anything like that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're sitting all dressed to the nines, you know, and you've just, it's got to be just brutal. Oh, my gosh, yes. (laughs) And have you ever been to Gettysburg? I have not. I have not had the pleasure of that experience. I've been there a couple times, um, and I know we've talked about this in the past, recent past. 
um, yesterday. Uh, well, I, I've been there a couple times, and they have these things called witness trees, and they're the right. oldest trees in Gettysburg. And uh, we went there on the main stretch of Gettysburg, and they actually have a witness tree that they say Lincoln got off his horse and leaned against for a rest before giving his speech and addressing the Gettysburg Address. And it was so cool. That's real. That would be really cool. Oh I my to, gosh! I would love to go. I just haven't. I just haven't been able to go. If you ever get the chance, man. Now that we have jobs and and, our, and our <laughs> actually have money and time, we can go <laughs> and spend a good good time there. Because I mean, it's Did just you, so it's just so daunting what Gettysburg was. Um, a great let's go, place. Let's to go see. do a show from Gettysburg. That would be awesome. I mean, if we get big enough, we could do live podcasts for a living. That'd be a lot of fun. That'd be cool. That would be, be really like cool. One step below. That'd be basically radio. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, we could still do it just as a vacation, but we both had to had to plan it. Yeah. Did you go for school? I'm assuming. No, I went on va- a family vacation there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. November twentieth, nineteen forty-five. The Nuremberg war crime trials began, in which twenty-four former leaders of the Nazi Germany. Um, were charged with conspiracy to wage wars of aggression, crimes against peace, war crimes, and overall crimes against humanity. Jeez. What and, what an interesting time because, I mean, you have to think about it that people in this point in time didn't know a word to describe what was happening. Like, they had no idea. Yeah. There was no way and, to really conceptualize what this was. And it's kind of weird to think about, too, that only only 24 leaders of the Nazi party I mean, how many people whether regardless of rank you know how many people were involved and did just absolutely heinous acts um and you know then in the end to only be 24 you know actually taken to trial yeah um, well well there's some like they have a running list of known associates that you know contributed to these awful times um that are still alive out there somewhere but they just don't know where mm-hmm. or at least like could still be alive i guess and that's crazy to think about too i mean this you know of course we still there's they're 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 dwindling but there's still people who you know live through the holocaust there's um you know allied soldiers um who you know the dwindling as well who are um who fought and, but it's it's I guess it's you know it's kind of two sides of the same coin. It's still but it's still weird to think about that there's still people alive who were associated with the 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 horrific things the Nazi Party is known for. Yeah, truly, truly, it's, unbelievable. November twentieth, eighteen eighty nine. We have a birthday. American astronomer Edwin Hubble, born in eighteen eighty nine, passed away in nineteen fifty three. Was born in Marshfield, Missouri. Um, he pioneered the concept of an expanding universe. The Hubble Space Telescope was named in his honor. Um, it was deployed from the Space Shuttle Discovery in 1990, allowing astronomers to see farther into space more than they have ever seen from telescopes on Earth. So really cool for such a pioneer of astronomy and um, science around the world. It is. And have have you heard anything about the... Uh, the new space telescope that's kind of underway. The the plan. I, I think it's. I can't remember when it's actually scheduled to go up. Is it the Hubble um, Mark II? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, okay. 
because that's a pretty <laughs> original name. Yes, it is an original name. <laughs> um, no, I, I guess it's I, – I wish I could remember the stats on it, and I should have looked them up. But I remember he, reading a news story about it. It's it's something in crazy like it can scan – you know, the, the amount of area that the Hubble can scan in a month or something like that, it can scan that much area in just a day. <laughs> can you imagine? Like, And that's that's in addition to, be able, to being able to go out farther and see things more clearly just with the new technology. That's you know, so now, awesome. It, it is, and it's going to be really interesting when that is up and running and constantly scanning. It's going to be interesting, you know, what all is found with that, you know, new piece of equipment. Yeah, definitely. Times are changing. <laughs> All right. On November 22nd, 1718, Blackbeard the pirate, um, his real name was Edward Teach, uh, he was killed off the coast of North Carolina after a long and prosperous career. Lieutenant Governor Alexander Spotswood of Virginia had sent two sloops to put an end to him. Uh, the sailors encountered Blackbeard, and Robert, Lieutenant Robert Maynard killed him in a fight in the fight that followed. Pretty sweet. It is. And, you know, <laughs> uh, most likely not true, but it is, it's is—it's kind of cool. It's actually said that um, when his head, they, they cut off his head and they put it on a pike. And they, you know, it, it was a trophy. I mean, they <laughs> killed Blackbeard. But supposedly his, uh, the face still still moved and made faces and the mouth open and closed for quite a while after he was, like, up to, like, days, like, after he was killed. and <laughs> Uh, is any of that true? Probably not. But <laughs> it's kind of you know cool. That's that's kind of the legend surrounding um, yeah the death of Blackbeard. Yeah, just add that to the conspiracies that we could talk about someday. <laughs> yeah, um, no kidding. That'd be a good idea for a show. Is talking about just overview of weird conspiracies. That's true. We could just go through a laundry list, but then have individual episodes that we dive more in because I mean obviously you can't talk about a whole bunch of conspiracies and not get the full yeah. picture. So. No, yeah. <laughs> I guess we need Mental to, note. Yeah, yes. We need to definitely keep on moving, though. Um, November 24th, 1874, Joseph uh, Glidden patented his invention of barbed wire. So is he the, is he the guy that patented uh, the saying, get off my lawn? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was the original <laughs> quote of, get off my lawn. <laughs> um <laughs> That's funny. Uh, keeping people out of places since 1874. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right, November 25th, 1995. By a margin of less than 1%, Ireland voted to legalize divorce, the closest vote in the nation's history. That's so weird. That's so it is weird. I mean, that it wasn't legal until 1995. Yeah, I mean, they, they were having those bouts back and forth between um, England and them with the whole um, independence. Like they didn't want England to to, to, mm-hmm. to be occupying them anymore, um, which obviously could have been a big factor. Um, right. But just entirely interesting, interesting, interesting. It just seems like you know that's such a common thing now, and it took until 1995 for that to even be legalized. It's just weird to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, November 26, 1789, the first American holiday occurred, proclaimed by President George Washington to be Thanksgiving Day, a day of prayer and public thanksgiving and gratitude for the successful establishment of the new American Republic. And now we, I mean, we've talked about this in the recent past, too, about how it was so interesting 
uh, how I mean Thanksgiving. A lot of times when you learn about it in the history books and uh, through school, it was it was the thanks and the gathering of Native Native Americans and the British colonists for the thankfulness of of the establishment and the helping of the Native Americans. It was like the giving mm-hmm. of right. um, of of knowledge and uh, respect, mm-hmm. I guess. Right, and that was, I mean, because up until then, they, the the colonists had really been struggling, and it, without the help of the Native Americans at the time, there's, I mean, they really would have, they'd have all died. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, such a harsh new environment that they were not prepared for, and that's really what the whole, you know, the idea of, the common idea of Thanksgiving is about. But, you know, to actually look at the the formal American holiday is not so much about, you know, the, that the early colonies, but it was more about this, um, the 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 thankfulness of this, you know, breaking free, and you know, the establishment, like like you said, of the new American Republic, and you know, that's something we don't think about a lot because all you see is, you know, turkeys and pilgrims and Indians and you know around Thanksgiving, and that's you know this is that's actually what the uh, the formal American holiday is about. Uh huh. <clears throat> All right, November 28, 1934. FBI agents killed bank robber George Babyface Nelson near Barrington, Illinois. I mean, this is just a really cool fact. <laughs> it is a cool fact. And I, I know we've talked about this in the recent <laughs> past. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you seen Have you seen Public Enemies? An awkward an awkward pause there. Um, no, I have not. Okay. It's like near the top of my list to watch, but I nope, I haven't watched. So it. good. It recounts the the uh, events of um, John Dillinger starring Johnny Depp, and and Babyface right. is in it, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the famous standoff um, in their safe house in the woods. Um, definitely, definitely worth a watch. It's almost like two and a half, three hours long, but really yeah. good movie. Really good movie. You know, I feel like. Whenever you bring up a movie, I always say it's on my list to watch. <laughs> and I just, like, I watch no movies, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> my list always grows. It never <laughs> goes down. <laughs> oh, boy. November 30th, 1995, Bill Clinton became the first American president to visit Northern Ireland. So had had presidents already been to Southern Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think that's a thing. Well, Northern Ireland's a thing. <laughs> well, I don't think there's East and West either. It's just Ireland, and then there's like. So is it just Ireland, and then there's North Ireland? <laughs> I'm uh, not a geographer. I'm an amateur <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. All right. So to kind of wrap things up, we've got November thirtieth, eighteen seventy four. We've got another birthday. Someone we've already talked about. Winston Churchill, born in 1874 and died in 1965. He was born in Blenheim Palace, Oxfordshire, England. Um, and before World War II, he held a number of high-level political offices in, Br- in Britain, including First Lord of the Admiralty. Um, in May 1940, he became Prime Minister, stating, I have nothing to offer but blood, tears, toil, and sweat. His inspirational speeches, combined with his political skills and military strategies, carried Britain through the war and helped the Allies overcome the Nazi the Nazi onslaught and defeat Hitler. Yeah, I mean, he's just been such a a big power and figurehead for the British people and sign of hope 
through those uh, times, through those dark times. Right, and we've we've talked about Winston Churchill. I mean, several times before. I believe we talked about him in the uh, in the radio broadcast episode about yep. his broadcasted um, speeches, um, very similar to FGR's fireside chats. Um, F, or uh, excuse me, Winston Churchill was also known for um, his very inspirational kind of. Spe- speeches that were designed to, you know, gather up courage, kind of get people rallied behind the war effort. Yep. Um, and I mean, he's really, really a major figure, you know, of that time period. <clears throat> All right, I love it, dude. Um, so that's a wrap. Thanks again for joining Young Nostalgia this week as we continue the journey through retro pop culture. And this has been this month in history. For November. As always, if you enjoy the show, leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts um, or wherever you listen to Young Nostalgia. If you got a future topic or you'd like to be a guest with Ben and I, give us an email at youngnostalgia2017 at gmail.com. And uh, you can you can uh, find us on <laughs> What was so funny in that? I don't see anything. <laughs> you There's like, no joke in there. You like breathed heavy in the mic and it, and it got me going. Um, Oh, so you man, can find us on you can find us on Podbean, <laughs> youngnostalgia.podbean.com. You can find our Facebook and Twitter accounts on there as well. Give us a like and a share. Um, oh my gosh! So you know how we said we've talked about this in the recent past. We tried to record our episode. No um, one really screwed up. That's the moral of the story. I uh, for, I plugged in my mic and I forgot to actually set it onto our recording software to record on my mic, but instead I recorded out of my PC. And uh, as Ben put it, it sounded like I recorded um, in front of a potato. And so we're doing this all over <laughs> again. You know, I was really I really was going to throw you under the bus right at the beginning of the episode, but you seemed to kind of like want to skate around it a little bit and so I thought, "Nah, I'll let him have this one." You know, no big deal, but and here you we know, are. since you brought it up, since you brought it up, and man, did it sound off. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll just we'll just release a whole bunch of bloopers. Um, anyway, this has been Young Nostalgia. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll be back next week with our volume two of Then and Now. Um, anyway, Ben, what do you think? Anything else we got? Nope. I think we killed it for the second time. <laughs> for the second time. As we always see, <laughs> say here on Young Nostalgia. Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. Take care, everybody. <laughs>